We're in for a very special treat today. Uh, Brother Ron Utsi is here with us with his lovely wife, uh, Denise, and they are currently based in May, Texas, and they serve a network of foster homes for children. He's a pastor to pastors, a leader to leaders, and we are just very blessed to have this gifted man of God here with us with his wife. So, Ron, it's our honor to turn you to service at this time. Come right on. At 19 years old, I was playing in clubs at 16 as a guitar player. And I, it was not legal to do that. So under the management we had, they used to say, just get up, play your guitar, sign autographs, and don't talk to nobody. Just, you know, just keep your mouth shut and uh, play your guitar. So I did that, and I had a blast. Well, by 19 years old, I was living a tremendous life in music. And I came to Christ when everything was great for me. Um, nothing was bad. I didn't have like a lot of downtime with the exception that I almost overdosed twice. Um, but, but because I came back, I thought, well, that was God sparing me. And maybe this is, life isn't as bad as it, everybody said it is because I was enjoying myself. But when I came to Christ at 19 years old, I walked into the church and oh, I'd say my hair was longer than yours down to here. And I wasn't accepted very, very well. Um, and they did not want me to play on the platform at all. And I didn't want to play on the platform at all. <laughs> I, I, I listened. You, you remember what the music was like in the late 70s and 80s, early 80s in the church, right? So I come into the church and I said, are you serious? So when the pastor's wife asked me, you, you need to get up and play. Now, I'm used to playing. I had stacks, Marshall stacks and racks of guitars. And you're thinking to yourself, you have got to be kidding me. You know, it was the oompa, 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 I see the Lord. Remember that one? Uh, you know, and, I mean, and then they would do about 58 songs just like that. You know, I mean, just the same chord progression, oompa, and they just kept going and going and going and going. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, aren't you glad that it's changed? And you know what I appreciate this morning is while I was there, I appreciate how Shake and your music team used their creativity to assist us in the worship of God, knowing that there's probably other folks that were players and components to that, and they did what they could to assist you and I in the worship of Almighty God. I was driving with a pastor friend of mine. I was ministering in his church in uh, Long Island back in the 80s. I think it was either late 80s or very early 90s. And we were riding in a, he had a beautiful uh, pickup truck at that, at that particular time. And we happened to be spending some time up in the Pocono Mountains. I was pastoring a church in western New York area, about 80 miles south of Buffalo. So we were like on the uh, border of uh, New York State and Pennsylvania. So a lot of hills, a lot of beautiful lakes, and uh, people went hunting there. But when I say hills, I mean big, big hills. Some people would call them mountains. They weren't mountains. They were hills, but they were large. Well, when you're driving through them, you know, the roads swerve and they have curves and they go up and down. So the, the terrain is not just straight and flat. And you have to be observant to where you're going. Well, he happened to be driving. We were driving up and around the Pocono Mountains. And we came through this area and he made a turn and he said to me, Hey, let me tell you this story. He says, you know, there was a truck. He said, I was up here one of these days. And right down there, see that small ravine down there? And I went, yeah. Now, now when I say it wasn't deep ravine, but deep enough that, you know, a car you could drive down. You wouldn't see it from the road. He said, yeah, I was, I was coming around and there was a car, a vehicle that had missed the turn and had gone off the road and gone down there. Now, the good news is no one was hurt. 
<laughs> but obviously, you, you know what the bad news is from that, don't you? I mean, if you've ever seen anything like that where a vehicle kind of misses it and it goes over, I don't mean just two tires over, I mean it's over, and it's kind of sitting there on the side, you know that, you know, while to some, the mockers will drive by and go, oh, look at that guy, or what, what did they do, you know? Well, and others, usually if they're driving by and they see it, which I did not, I was just hearing the story, but in my mind I thought, I wonder what they did that, that, that got them stuck down there. But I, here's what I thought about. That couple or that family or whoever it was that was down there, the only issue that was important on their mind was one thing. How do I get out of here? <laughs> How do I get back up to the road? I mean, because where they were, they couldn't drive out of there. It's not like you could put it in reverse and get out. Somebody had to come there in a truck, hook up a chain to the back, and pull them out of there. What I want to talk to you about this morning is what I'm calling the Jonathan Principle. And I've given it a subtitle, actually. And, and, and we have a PowerPoint presentation, so they'll, they'll be able to help you along a little bit, just some things that may be of encouragement to you. And really, what I want to focus on today is pulled up to higher ground. Because every one of us go through life, and in life, we would love to have the absolute perfect road, the terrain that's always straight, everything's always working the way that I'd like it to. I see the signs ahead of time, you know, any kind of curve that does happen. I mean, I'm well prepared to do it, but you know what it's like. When you first got your license, you may have paid attention to some of that stuff. But after you became, of course, a seasoned driver... You didn't always pay attention to the signs on the road that said a curve was coming. You didn't always pay attention to the speed signs. You interpreted them as suggestions, not a limit. And so what ends up happening is there's times that, uh, and, and growing up where I did in, in western New York, it snowed. Now, you don't know snow down here. If it snows an inch, they close the whole city. There, if it snows a foot, they still fly planes in and out. And so you have to learn how to use a vehicle because they're going to plow the roads and they expect that you're going to travel on them and just be safe. But you know, life at times gives you angles and curves that on your journey, you're not intentional about it, but you just happen to fall over and get into a ditch. Now, of course, I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking to all the people that will get this audio that you know, not you, but it happens. And I just thought for the purpose of this lesson, it would help to use somebody else because it doesn't happen to you. you you've never missed a curve. You, you never got off the road. You never needed somebody to pull you up. I understand that. But there are other people who do. And do you understand that that's part of the gospel ministry today? As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that 21st century ministry revolves around God's people knowing how to reach up and pull people up. We're living in a time that we're more educated, but not necessarily more fruitful in our walk with God. We're living in a day that we're highly stimulated, we're just not very committed to a cause. It's an all-about-me generation and an all-about-me time, and yet God has called us to focus on Him and reaching people that don't know Him. But what happens in our day is we're like that traveler. We could be traveling down a road and see somebody in a ditch, and maybe we'll make a snide remark and go, Haha, 
Wow, I wonder what that idiot did to get himself in that mess. I'm glad I'm not him. Or maybe we'll drive by and ask the question, hmm, I wonder what they did. I don't know that we'll necessarily stop and say, hey, do you need help down there? Is everything okay? We may not do that, and yet that's what God wants us to do, is to realize that on our journey, it isn't just all about us. Sometimes the journey that you're on is about God intersecting you in the lives of other people so that you can be God's instrument to pull them up out of a ditch. I think I'll say that again. Did I say it shake the way you told me to earlier? Okay, I'm going to try this one again. Sometimes on your journey, it isn't just about you going on the terrain that you like. Sometimes that journey that God has put you on, yes, it's developing the character of Christ in you. Yes, it's working Christ's plan in your life. But Christ's plan may not be just to get the car, the house, the boat, the job that you want. Sometimes Christ's plan in your life is to take you on that journey because there's going to be a certain place that somebody missed a turn and you're going to be his instrument to pull them up out of a ditch, to get them back on the road they're supposed to be traveling. Has that ever occurred to you that God wants to use you to lift up or pull up somebody else? So I want to talk to you about what I look at, and I'm going to use Jonathan in the Old Testament. He's going to be our example And I'm calling it the Jonathan Principle, pulled up to higher ground. Because there's not a soul in this room this morning, including me, that doesn't want to go to higher ground in God. But I realized something. To get to higher ground, somebody's got to help you get there. Because we're just not that good. And that's where the pride gets attacked in our life. We all want to go to higher ground, but because of the contemporary scenario that we live in, we actually believe if we're more educated, we can get there ourselves. If we're more stimulated, we'll be motivated to get there ourselves. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't happen, or we'll sacrifice excellence for what's mediocre, just so that we can say we actually did something, but it didn't really take us to higher ground. It's like that vehicle in the ravine. Just being able to move the vehicle isn't the answer. You can move it. You just may keep moving it more south or east or west, but you're not going up. And see, the road's up. You've got to get pulled up to higher ground. That vehicle wasn't made to ride in that stuff. It's made to ride on this road, but you either got distracted Something happened that caused you to lose your focus. Maybe you were unprepared. You didn't actually, you saw the sign, but maybe you never traveled that road before. Maybe they never traveled that road before, and they really weren't anticipating what it was going to bring. Really, at the end of the day, does it matter why they or how they ended up in the ditch? Not really. Once you're there, it really doesn't matter at that moment how you got there. What matters is the one thing, just like that vehicle, the one thing that matters in your life. How do I get to the next level? How do I get to higher ground? Because really at the end of the day, whether you went through a divorce, whether you lost a business, whether somebody hurt you, whether a church failed you, whatever it is, at the end of the day, the only thing that really is going to make a difference in your life is to answer the issue that's beating in your heart, and that is how do I get to the next level in God? 
How do I get to the higher ground in my walk with Christ? How do I relationally get to higher ground with my spouse or with my church or with my friend? How do I get to higher ground in this place of business? How do I get to a higher ground and not mediocre in my influence of Jesus in a community? Really, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Did, I, did I say that just like you told me to, shake? Okay, praise the Lord. God, just got to make sure that I got this right here. Hallelujah. Now let's look at it. I want to begin by asking you three questions, and then we're going to read a certain passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel. The three questions that I want to ask you, because they're target questions, they kind of locate us. Number one is, do you have a desire to get closer to God in your life right now? Is there a desire within you that says, I want to get closer to God? I just may not know how, but I want to get closer. Second question. Do you feel like you could serve God more fruitfully or more faithfully if somebody would just help you? There's a lot of people that feel that way. I've heard so many folks say, Ron, I know that I've got so much good in me. I know that I can be more productive, more fruitful. I just need somebody that'll take the time to help me get to the next level. You you know, as musicians, not only do we understand that, we appreciate that. I mean, I grew up where you can learn just so many lessons, and that's a good thing. But then I had friends of mine that were playing at a level that I'd never played at, and I thought, man, if they'd only take some time and show me some of those shortcuts. Yeah, you could tell me what it's called. Yeah, we can do the hammer-ons, and you can show. But can somebody actually show me, help me? Give me some of the philosophy behind that because at that time it was new, it was fresh, something coming out. And what was amazing to me is, you know who taught me how to do this? Billy Sheehan, a bass player. I mean, I, I, yeah, we grew up in the same city and we were friends and he would play bass and, man, he, uh, the stuff he did on a bass was amazing. Well, here I'm a lead guitar player. Yeah, I know pentatonic scales and, gen- and man, I, I could rip. But, man, when I started seeing them do that, or with a, I thought, I can hear that, but... Help me understand that. What are you doing? We sat down with acoustic guitars, and he showed me on an acoustic guitar the idea behind it. Where some of you, which just means nothing to you, but if you're a musician, it can mean a lot to you. You're just operating in the same scale. Instead of using two fingers, you're using three, or th- instead of three, you're using four, and you're just doing it in, in timing and progression and moving on down. So it sounds really cool. Instead of it just, it's going, forget it. It was great. But somebody had to teach me, show me. Because for me, I, I mean, by myself I could do it, but you're just going, you know. But I want to know, how are you doing it, walking down a scale where it sounds so good? But it took humility for me to ask somebody, especially a bass player. But he was a friend, so I knew him. So I said, I watched you do this. What are you doing? Well, now, you know, now it's, you don't even think about it. You just play and you just do it. But somebody had to help you. It's amazing in business we'll have apprentice programs. But in the church of Jesus Christ, where is this? We send them out to Bible school, they get a degree, and because they got a degree, we think they're qualified to pastor. For real? Are you serious? No wonder why the church is at the state it's at. We got people in the pulpit that are expert, educated communicators. They're just clueless of how people live. They just want to give them a motivational sermon as if that gives them the power to transform. It does not. The only power that transforms lives is Jesus Christ. So if you give a motivational sermon and take Christ out of it, well, they'll be highly motivated. But I'm going to tell you something right now. You motivate an imbecile, you want to know what you got? A motivated imbecile. I mean, 
maybe that's a bad word. Let's use a better word. If you motivate somebody that doesn't know their directions, guess what you got? Somebody who's highly motivated and going to be more non-directional. They don't know what to do or where to go. See, it's not just about stimulating them. It's about directing them. We need to both stimulate and direct. Our problem is sometimes the reason that in the church we don't have direction clear is because people are just wanting to be emotional, get stimulated, but they lack direction. Therefore, what needs to happen? Sometimes to get to that next level, that next somebody needs to help you get there. In other words, they're on the rung of the ladder that you want to be on. They're the quality person that's able to help you get there because they have an experience that you desire. I've said for years, a person with an experience in God will never be at the mercy of a person who has an argument about God. See, when I've encountered an experience in God, I had to practically apply something in my life. And God then confirmed his word, so now I have an experience. I've got an encounter. So somebody's argument's never going to change my mind. I know with his stripes we are healed is an actual experience I can live. I've had it work in my life. I know that truly when you don't have it, but you sacrifice to sow, I've watched God manifest his provision. So it's not about hoarding it just to get. I know that those principles work. I've got an experience in God that while somebody else may have an argument, they can have their argument. I'll never buy into their argument. I've got an experience that they would love to have, but you can't get it having an argument with God about it. It takes humility to yield to God. And when you do, then you encounter something. When that occurs, not only does it bless you, but it qualifies you to be an instrument in His hand to help somebody else who's been in the same ditch you were in to get out. So again, two questions. I'll get you the third. Do you have a desire to get closer to God? If you go, yes. Do you feel like you could serve God more fruitfully or more faithfully if somebody would just help you? You go, yes. How about the third one? Have you ever dreamed about doing something significant for God? There's a lot of people that may be here today that you've dreamed for so long to do something significant. But sometimes your idea of significant means that it's miraculous and that miraculous in your mind means it's got to be sensational. Kind of like the clouds part. You know, the earth shakes. Walls move. That's kind of what you think. Like, that's miraculous. You know, the new birth that took place in your life that brought you from darkness to light that took you from a place of being separated to God to being united to God was the greatest miracle you've ever had. It's the greatest miracle you'll ever have in your life. God transformed your nature. Have you ever considered that possibly the most significant thing that God would ever want you to do in this life is to communicate your Christ story about how you came to faith in Christ? To help somebody else cross that threshold that without that, no matter what would have happened, if they were strong enough to lift five trucks if they could belch the national anthem in harmony. I mean, whatever you may think is, 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 is miraculous, is supernatural. I mean, if they could walk on water, if they did all those things and died and didn't know Jesus, guess where their destiny is? And yet what we do is we get into a place that when we say to do something significant for God, 
We think significant means I've got to be able to go into a room like Benny Hinn, wave my hands, and hundreds of people fall over. Now, I'm not going to criticize that. I'm just saying that's what people think is significant. I want to be able to be like Shake and play a, a chord on the piano and people just fall to their knees and go, oh my gosh, my heart was smote by God. That could happen. But rather than putting God in a box like that, how about doing something significant for God look like you just pulling somebody else out of a ditch that they couldn't have got out of themselves? If that's God's will, if God wants to reach them and he wanted to use you, would you argue with God about that or think that that's insignificant when in fact that may alter their whole destiny? I'm glad that somebody came into my life and shared Christ with me. Unfortunately, when that happened, I was not open to receive it. I threatened that individual. I told him if they didn't stop talking to me about God, I'd have people beat them up. And then they said, would you come to church with me? Now listen, this is a true story. 19 years old, my agreement with them is I will go to church with you. If you promise me, you will never ask me to go to church again and stop talking to me about this Jesus stuff. Now he said, I can't promise that I'll stop talking to you about the Jesus stuff, but I won't invite you anymore if that's okay, if, but if you'll come one time. Ladies and gentlemen, I went to that service that morning. That church service was smaller than this one. They didn't really have a music program. They were up there playing acoustic guitars and singing. You don't really want to know what it was like. You might have thought you needed to get into intercession to help them. And, and then being a musician, I'm in the service. It's a group of weird people. They're singing songs I've never heard before. Ave Maria, I know. I don't know these. Well, I don't know what they're talking about. And they're happy and they're clapping. And, and, and for me as a musician, you'll appreciate this. White people can't clap. They need guidance. They don't know what the on beat is. They don't. And so here I'm standing watching... 30, 40 white people. Ready? Sing this. Now, that's not one person. That's all of them. You know, one. Am I, t am I telling the truth? You know. I, I, when I would do my unplugged sessions in concerts, I would say, all you white people, follow me now. Do this. Good. I said, all of you African American, you don't need to do nothing right now. You just stand there and wait till the music starts. You already got it in you. They'd all start laughing. I said, you think I'm joking? Have you ever asked the person next to you? They're going to tell you, man, you are really bad on timing. You just don't got it. <laughs> now, this is the service I'm in. And during that service, God touched my life. I didn't even want to be there. I only went. My goal was not to hear from God. My goal was not to learn a doggone thing. My goal was to go there so that that person would never invite me again. That was the goal. And God transformed my life that day. What is significant? How many times I have thanked that person that even when I was the jerk, even when I threatened you, even I degraded you, even when I said to you, please, don't ever invite I'll go one time. You were so faithful. 
and you kept a good spirit about you. And I'm in heaven. Not there yet, but I'm going to heaven. Heaven's my home. That's mine. Because somebody did something significant for God. Now, I cannot tell you the tens of thousands of people that have turned to Jesus Christ through our ministry. But what would have happened had he never pressed through? God would have sent somebody else, but what would have happened if something happened to me before that time? Are you you getting the picture? You see, what is something significant for God? Sometimes we think it's got to be the spectacular. I got to do something in church that, that, like, really what it does is it calls attention to you, not to God. Is that too harsh? I didn't think so either. Hallelujah. I'm not into the celebrity mentality in the church. Are you? It's almost like just religious idolatry. I mean, I don't want to do something unless prophet so-and-so says I should. I don't want to believe something unless it comes out of that camp. I got a better idea. And I'm not for it. But I got a better idea. How about if we believe it because it comes out of this book? How about if we do it because God said it? (laughs) How about that one? I know that's a stretch. I know, I know. But how about that? I think it'll work. So let's talk about it. The Jonathan Principle. How many give me 10 more minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40. Never mind. Okay, let's move along. Notice 1 Samuel 23. Let's look at verse 14, and you're going to see Jonathan in the very scenario that I gave to you about this truck. Let's look at 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. Actually, I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. The PowerPoint only has it at beginning at 16, but if, uh, let me read and you can follow along. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness And Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David in the woods, notice what he did, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Let me break it down for you. This is 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you go to 1 Samuel, which we're not, if you go to 1 Samuel 16, in the 16th chapter, this is where Samuel goes and anoints David to be king over Israel. Remember that? Then in 1 Samuel 17, David conquers Goliath. I mean, he goes running after Goliath with a tank top and shorts. And a couple of stones and a sling. Not looking like a warrior. That's why Goliath was so mad at him. Goliath is yelling at David saying, am I a dog? Well, David didn't respond and go, yes, arf. He didn't do that. 
he just kept running after him. But Goliath is looking at it going, man, the whole army of Israel, your best warriors are in fear. They're paralyzed. They won't fight me. And here you are, you have no armor, and you're not walking at me. You're running at me with some stones. Let me give you a good picture of David's faith in God. When you read the description about what Goliath was wearing, when you see the helmet that was on his head, man, that thing was metal. David didn't have boulders. He had stones. When he used the slingshot and he threw it, it hit Goliath in the head, but it hit his helmet. That means it would have pinged. The miracle was David was just using what God gave him, what he had. He was counting on God to rescue him. He was counting on God to be his deliverer, not David's strength. So yes, the stone, again, not boulder, it's a stone. How does a small guy run with five stones and a slingshot? They can't be too big, but he's running and he uses it. God took that and knocked Goliath out. He didn't kill him. Not that way. Remember, David said to Goliath, I am going to take a sword and cut your head off. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. David didn't have a sword. Remember, he used Goliath's. Why do I tell you that? This is David's heritage. This is the experience he has. He's got anointing. He's conquered Goliath. Now they're singing David's praises, not Saul's. But here we are, 1 Samuel 23. What's David doing? Hiding in the woods. Why is he hiding? Because Saul the king is looking for him every day to kill him. Why? Because remember, after David had killed Goliath, they came back in the city singing David's praises. Remember, Saul has killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousand. Oh, yes, David, David, he's our man. Saul can't do it, but David can. And jealousy rises in Saul. Now, David, being the perceptive man that he was, realized that when Saul had invited him to the dinner table, happened to pick up a spear and threw it at David's head and missed, and it stuck to the wall, David realized at that moment a graceful departure would be wise. So David leaves the dinner table and for over ten years runs and hides in the woods. Why do I use this man, Jonathan? Because Jonathan was the oldest son of Saul the king. Based on the culture of that day, when you had an eldest son, if something were to happen to the king, the eldest son immediately assumed the throne. Jonathan was heir to the throne. He knew that. But what did Jonathan do? Here's what Jonathan did. Jonathan did three things, and we see them right here. Jonathan, number one, Jonathan recognized that God's hand or God's call was on David, not on himself, to be king. Jonathan also reminded David of God's word to him. He said, you'll be king. That was the word that came to you. And then Jonathan made a relational commitment to David and said, I will stand by your side. Why do I bring that up to you? Because if we are going to pull people up out of a ditch, or if we're going to have to let ourselves get pulled out of a ditch, it's going to have to take a humility like Jonathan had. Not wanting to be the guy, be the girl. 
not wanting to be that special person, inherit that leadership position. That was not Jonathan's heart. Jonathan's heart was to, he recognized God's anointing, God's call is on David to be king. Now, while it is mine based on the culture, it is not mine based on the call of God. To Jonathan, God's will was more important than the culture of the day. It wasn't the culture that was supposed to shape the way God did things. God was supposed to be shaping the culture. And God picked David to be the king. Jonathan had to hear about it. He wasn't there when Saul anointed him, but he had to know it. And Jonathan counted the call of God on David worthy. So what did he do? He went and found David in the woods to strengthen him in the call that God gave David. Now, do you understand that Jonathan was risking his own life? Yes, he was Saul's son. But if Jonathan, if it were found out that Jonathan was going to find David to strengthen him in God, his father, Saul, could have killed him. Because David was viewed as an enemy. Why do I bring this up to you today? Because in order to pull people up, to get them to higher ground, sometimes you're going to have to step into some uncomfortable situations. They're not always going to be pleasant. There are people today that could be all over Granbury that used to be pastors, used to be worship leaders, used to be elders or fruitful in church life. But a bad situation happened to them. It could have been a church that went bad. It could have been them that went bad. It could have been a marriage that went bad. Whatever the case, they're in a ditch. And they're still in that ditch right now. And yet the call of God could still be on them. The grace of God has not been lifted off their life. And you know what we do sometimes? We talk about it as what a horror story that was and it's unfortunate. But who's reaching out to pull them up out of a ditch? Thank you for those few hand claps. How would you be if you were in that ditch? What would that be like for you? You may even say to me today, Ron, you have no idea. I understand this better than you want me to know. I've been in that ditch. And the sad part of it is a lot of people walk by just like they did that when the Samaritan, all those people who would walk by that road and it took that Samaritan to go find him. I understand what you've gone through. I've been there too. But it doesn't give us a reason not to look up to the character of a man like Jonathan to recognize that we are got to have relational building. We've got to have the kind of spiritual fortitude and strength in our life that allows us to reach beyond a difficult problem. We've got to realize that it's more about what God is looking to do than even our own reputation. So much so that we're willing to get our hands dirty and let God use us as an instrument to help somebody get up to fulfill their divine purpose. Because if it's not us that's going to do it, who is? And if you say God is, then who would God use? God uses His church. God uses His people. So no matter how you want to slice that pie, it's going to come out to be the same area. God will do it. He will use His people, which means He's going to send them into that environment. Enter the church, which is why I said to you in the beginning, and I'm going to close right here. 21st century ministry will revolve around three things. It'll be Christ-centered, people-focused, love-driven.
Christ-centered in that it's all about his will. What did Jonathan see? God's anointing is on David. This is the plan of God. It's Christ-centered. Lord, I'm with you. It's people-focused. He believed so much in the call of God and believed in David, he went to him and he reminded him, you will be king. He shared God's word with him. You will be king. My father will. The plan of the enemy will not succeed against you, David, but the plan of God will. And then he made a relational commitment. That's love. Christ-centered, people-focused, love-driven. The love that will make a relational commitment. See, this 21st century ministry that we're talking about is going to be revolved around building healthy relationships that will give people hope for the future and strength to practice faith in God in their present. Because there's probably not anybody in this room that hasn't had to deal with some time in your life depression, hopelessness. You believed the dream that you had and, and, and all of a sudden now it, it can't be anymore. Somebody let you down and now you don't trust nobody anymore. We've all been through those things and God knows that. And what is he wanting? He's wanting a generation, a people to rise like Jonathan. It's called the body of Christ. That'll be able to reach across to each other, reach down to the underprivileged. What do I mean by underprivileged? I mean the people that don't know Jesus Christ. Reach down, not be afraid. I'm not saying be like them. I'm saying don't be afraid to share your Christ testimony with them to re lift them up. Because I know what that's like when somebody does that and you're not even open to hearing the message. And yet God does something powerful that transforms a life. If we'd only let God be God, we'd be so much better, wouldn't we? But to let God be God, we have to be who he's called us. Will you let me pray for you today? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you right now. You never gave up on any of us. I want to thank you that you saw the gem inside of us. I want to thank you today that in the midst of that, you never quit reaching to us. God, you gave us an, a great example in Jonathan. He saw your hand on David. At the risk of his own life, he trusted your plan above even what would have promoted him. He humbled himself and he reached out and made a relational commitment to David. He reminded him of your word. Lord, I'm asking you, would you help us today to be a people that could be like Jonathan? That we could really help people we could pull them up to higher ground in God, that we're not afraid to do it. But Lord, would you also help us to have the humility that there may be some today that want to do that and they don't know how. Or they feel like they just can't. Would you help them have that temperament of spirit that would reach up to somebody who's trying to reach out to them to pull them up? Drop the walls, drop the pride, drop the fear and reach up. Lord, all of us had to reach up sometime when you were reaching out to us. And that's where it starts. We laid hold of your hand and you pulled us up. Help us do it again. And then help us be that instrument that you can use in this community, in this state, 
anywhere you send us to lift people to higher ground in God. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Lord, I pray for every person here that knows someone that needs some lifting. Lord, may we not let the sun go down today without doing something towards this end, to do something significant for you to lift up that person. Lord, just bring that person's face or name to our heart and our mind right now in Jesus' name. So oh. 